I'm Brian McPherson, and this is the Athena Health Podcast. We're producing this podcast to help clinicians and staff better utilize Athena One so that Athena One can best support your patient care. In partnership with customer organizations like yours, we've been meeting regularly with legislators in Congress and their staff to advocate for a sustainable, long-term solution to annual Medicare physician fee schedule cuts that jeopardize patient access to care and create financial uncertainty for medical practices. We're working with our customers to help legislators understand the impacts of their policies and to ensure your voice is being heard in Congress. I'm joined now by Joe Ganley, Vice President for Government and Regulatory Affairs here at Athena Health. Joe, let's start with the bottom line. What's about to happen to Medicare payments for ambulatory practices? Well, Brian, uh, thanks for having me. I, I think it's not so much what's about to happen as it's uh, what's been happening over the last 20 uh, years or so. Um, we have seen a significant decrease in reimbursement under Medicare for ambulatory physicians. Um, and as a result, uh, it, it, it's something that's been systemic uh, and it's something that's baked into the law. And as a result, ambulatory physicians find themselves being reimbursed at a lower rate for the same procedures that might be done in a hospital. That's about to get worse this year um, because there's yet another proposed cut, almost three and a half percent to reimbursement for ambulatory physicians that could take effect this year um, if Congress doesn't step in before December 31st and do something to mitigate those cuts. So why is this specific to ambulatory practices versus hospital inpatient and outpatient facilities? Yeah, it's a good question. So Medicare has three payment rules that they use. There's hospital inpatient, hospital outpatient, and then ambulatory. There are three different rules that provide reimbursement rates um, for those clinical services, depending on the setting. And they're kind of subject to different statutes in the law um, that that outline how CMS should provide that funding. Unfortunately, um, ambulatory reimbursement is not indexed or tied, if you will, to inflation. And so as the cost of medical care has gone up, that reimbursement has stayed flat or actually, if you adjust it for inflation, it's actually gone down. Um, Hospital inpatient and hospital outpatient reimbursements have gone up. They've been tied to inflation. They're tied by law to inflation so that as the cost of delivering care gets higher as a result of inflation, the Medicare reimbursement automatically goes up for hospitals but not for ambulatory physicians. And that's a result of some quirks in the law. Um, And as I say, it's it's systemic um, and it's a problem when you consider the challenge of uh, physicians who are treating patients under Medicare where the reimbursement is actually less than what it costs them to treat that patient. So what does that mean, those differences in reimbursements between ambulatory and healthcare? What does that sort of mean for healthcare and the way that healthcare is provided across society? Yeah, I mean, there's it, 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 there's huge implications. Um, the the biggest of which is, you know, if you're a small ambulatory physician practice, you may actually start considering not taking Medicare uh, and not treating Medicare patients because, you know, those patients are essentially a loss leader, right? There's a, uh, a, a the the reimbursement is less than what it costs you to treat those patients, and so as a result, you may say, you know what, I'm only going to see patients who have insurance. I'm not going to see, you know, elderly patients who are on Medicare and. And, and the implications for those patients is significant because if you can't find a provider in your area who's willing to uh, treat patients uh, you know, under the Medicare system, there's a real access problem uh, for those patients. And we have an aging population. We have a Medicare population that's increasing um, as a result of, of that aging population. And so if folks, we already have a clinician shortage to begin with, 
And if you then add in the fact that folks on Medicare can't access primary care because the primary care physicians can't make Medicare patients work economically uh, for their practice, um, that's a real access problem. Uh, and, and so it, it becomes, you know, folks who should be seeing their primary care doctor regularly are instead not because they can't find a primary care doctor. And so they're waiting until they get really sick and then, you know, turning up at the emergency room, um, which which adds cost into the system. So there's there's cost implications, there's access implications, there's quality of healthcare implications. It, it's a really significant problem. Yeah, I was going to ask about sort of like we talk a lot about at Athena Health about value-based care and sort of better care for less cost across society. This seems like that's contrary to a lot of the goals of value-based care. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, part of the reason uh, why structurally the physician reimbursement under Medicare has gone down is that uh, back about, you know, probably, I don't know, eight or seven or eight years ago, they they passed a law called MACRA, which was designed to provide incentives in order to uh, incentivize physicians to move to more value-based care arrangements under Medicare. And so they wanted to keep the, um, you know, the increase in fee-for-service Medicare uh, sort of arbitrarily low as an incentive, as an economic incentive to force physicians to move towards more value-based care arrangements. The problem is we had COVID in between, you know, a lot of other dynamics that have happened uh, the the transition to value based care has been slower than virtually everybody predicted, and so as a result, uh, and by the way, the bonuses that CMS built in for transition to value based care have not been as significant uh, economically as folks thought they would be, and so there's been less of an incentive to actually transition to value based care, and so as a result, you've got this sort of stick of uh, arbitrarily low fee-for-service reimbursements without the carrot of value-based care bonuses. And so it, it's been a bit of a disaster in terms of, uh, you know, it hasn't incentivized the behavior and the changes that CMS and, and the Congress wanted it to incentivize. Um, and all it's really done is, you know, arbitrarily kind of depressed the physician reimbursement to a point where treating a Medicare patient now puts you underwater. So at this stage... What would have to happen to avert these cuts before the end of the year? Yeah. So what's happened in the last couple of years is that uh, CMS bound the Center for Medicare and Medicare Serv- Medicaid and Medicare Services, bound by the statute, um, has proposed a, a significant cuts to physician reimbursement. And then what's happened is the Congress has stepped in, usually in late December, uh, as part of their spending bill. Uh, for the next fiscal year, and they've provided additional funding to mitigate those cuts. And that has happened over the last couple of years. Uh, It happened several years ago as part of the sort of sustainable growth rate um, issue, which was kind of a similar problem where Medicare was proposed to be cut every year, and then Congress had to step in at the 11th hour and sort of save the day. Um, That's exactly the situation we're in. We need Congress to pass a law allowing for funding that will mitigate that three and a half percent cut to Medicare uh, physician reimbursement for this year. That's kind of the first step. And frankly, it's, you know, in my mind, not really negotiable. I mean, I I think, you know, the ambulatory physician community is not going to survive if those cuts go through. Um, So Congress needs to do that. Um, Of course, Congress has, you know, lots of issues right now in terms of figuring out how to fund the government and the potential for a government shutdown in the next couple of days and all sorts of issues. Um, 
So it's no guarantee that Congress will do that, but we're certainly hopeful that they will, and they have in the past couple of years. On a more permanent basis, what ought to happen is that physician reimbursement ought to be indexed to inflation the same way that hospital inpatient and hospital outpatient reimbursement rates are indexed to inflation. So if inflation goes up, medical inflation, which is easily calculated, if that goes up, in other words, the cost of treating patients becomes higher, then the Medicare reimbursement ought to be indexed to that inflation so that it goes up at the same level. It's the same way that, you know, we have cost of living adjustments in, in Social Security and generally people's salaries go up as, as inflation goes up at their at their employer. I mean, you cannot continue to pay at, you know, year 2000 levels when we're dealing with year 2023 inflation. So what is in the works now? Is there a bill in front of Congress for that 11th hour solution? There, there is um, the 11th hour solution will come as part of the spending package, right? So Congress, as you're watching the news and following all of the the various machinations around whether we're going to have a government shutdown or not, this proposal to mitigate those cuts to Medicare is in that is in that package. So it matters that we get this done. Um, on a more permanent basis, there is a bill pending in Congress. Uh, it's sponsored by Congressman uh, Ami Barra from California and Larry Bouchon from Indiana. Uh, that would permanently index the physician fee schedule, which is the the regulation that sets the Medicare reimbursement rates for physicians, it would permanently index that to inflation. And so it would be, you know, it would put that on par with hospital inpatient and hospital outpatient, and it would keep that reimbursement rate sort of, you know, permanently tied to the inflation level for, for, for medical costs uh, on a permanent basis, which, you know, I think is very sensible and, and certainly fair with respect to how we're reimbursing, you know, hospitals and and ambulatory physicians. So, for a clinician listening to this podcast, most of most of whom will have a vested interest in seeing greater equity in Medicare payment formulas, what what can they do now that they have this knowledge? Yeah, so you know, there's many many reasons for this inequity in the system where hospitals are reimbursed at a greater uh, level and a, and a sort of more you know equitable level than physicians are. Um, but one of the reasons is that the large hospital systems are a very powerful lobbying group, right? I live in the world of Washington, D.C., where, you know, the size of your megaphone has an impact on the outcome of legislation and regulation. And so large hospital systems have a very powerful megaphone. They have lots of money, they have lots of lobbyists, and they have a very strong influence in Washington. They're big employers uh, in, in in the you know districts of members of Congress and senators. Um, the physician community has not been as strong a voice as those hospitals. Uh, and it's understandable, right? Folks who are running a small small group practice don't necessarily have time to be calling their congressman, right? I, I completely understand that. Um, the American Medical Association has organized a campaign called Fix Medicare Now. Um, there's a, a website, fixmedicarenow.org, um, that uh, um, has access to advocacy materials, talking points, how to email and, and, and you know call your congressman. Um, but that's what I would say to physicians is that, um, you know, we need to reach out to members of Congress. They need to understand the impact that this is having, that these reimbursement cuts are having on the garden variety um, practice in their districts. Um, we did a survey last year of our uh, Athena's customers, and, and we looked at the customers who are seeing the most Medicare patients. And a 1% cut in Medicare reimbursement for those customers who are seeing the most Medicare patients could mean $100,000 of revenue for that customer. 
um, that's a huge amount of money for a for a small group practice. And so um, it, it's it's um, I think easy to bemoan that the government is not funding Medicare the way they should and, and that there's sort of unfairness in the system. But we are at a point where there's real efforts being made right now by members of Congress to pass a law that would permanently index this reimbursement rate to inflation, which is, in my view, the right way to go. Um, but they need to hear from folks. Folks need to, to send the emails, send the letters, pick up the phone and call their member of Congress and, and urge them to support that legislation. Can you speak to what Congress is hearing from us at Athena Health as part of this effort? Yeah, I mean, this is our our top public policy priority. Um, we we recognize that uh, the impact of Medicare reimbursement on our customers is so significant that even though we don't necessarily have you know skin in this game per se, um, we've made it our top public policy priority. And so we've joined with other organizations uh, like the AMA um, and some of the specialty organizations uh, to lobby Congress pretty aggressively. We we did just finished a group of meetings where we brought uh, uh, 50 customers uh, virtually to Washington, D.C. to um, to meet with members of Congress and, and urge passage of the legislation that would index this to inflation. Um, I think that was a good opportunity for our customers. And it was a great opportunity for members of Congress, frankly, to hear directly from folks in their community who are taking care of patients who are saying, if we don't change this system that's sort of fundamentally broken, we're going to wind up with significant access to care problem for our most vulnerable seniors. So you mentioned this was our top public policy priority. What other things does your team work on in terms of public policy in the healthcare realm um, other than this that our customers may not be aware of? Sure. I mean, there's a whole host of issues. I mean, everything from, um, you know, expanded telehealth usage, which became a real issue during the, during the, the COVID pandemic, um, Policies related to health IT and the transferring and interoperability of health IT systems and making information flow more freely within the healthcare system. I mean, our public policy priorities at Athena are very nicely aligned to, you know, the service that we're trying to provide for our customers, right? We believe fundamentally that healthcare is too complicated, too complex. And on the business side, we're trying to build solutions and technology and services that make those transactions less complex more streamlined, more efficient, cheaper, easier, faster, right? On the public policy side, we're doing the exact same thing. We're trying to enact, um, you know, legislation and regulations that make those transactions in healthcare smoother, right? And so it shouldn't be that difficult to get prior authorization, right? It's it's way too complex right, right now. Um, shouldn't be that difficult to get your reimbursement paid on time, right? But unfortunately, as a result of lots of issues, that can sometimes be complex. And so the public policy issues that we're advocating for are very similar to the same products and services that we're putting in the marketplace. We want to make healthcare more simple, more streamlined, more efficient, faster, easier, um, and reduce administrative burden for our clinician customers so that they can do what they want to do, which is treat patients. Oh, that sounds great. Um, we'll look forward to seeing how this, how this plays out in Congress over the next few months. Joe, we appreciate your time to run through this with us. Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me. Here's what else you need to know. The next major Athena One update takes place in November with the Fall 2023 release. We'll publish the Fall 2023 Release Center and release notes on October 20th, and that's where you can expect to see all the information you'll need about the features we have planned for November. With the end of the year approaching, it may soon be time to think about quality program submissions. If you're involved with quality programs at your organization, whether it be MIPS, 
HEDIS, UDS, or another program, be sure to check out the quality resources page on the Success Community for user guides, links to webinars, and program-specific support. There's even a user group you can join. With over 350 partners across 62 capabilities and 60 specialties, the Marketplace enables you to curate your Athena Health experience under one platform based on your specific business needs. Over 70% of Athena Health customers use one or more Marketplace partners. Go to marketplace.athenahealth.com and filter by specialty or capability to find solutions that support your business, integrating seamlessly and powering the most open, scalable platform in healthcare. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tell your colleagues to check us out as well. The podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can let us know what you think by email at podcast at athenahealth.com, especially if you have any topics you would like us to cover to better support the way you use Athena One. We at Athena Health are working to create a thriving ecosystem that delivers accessible, high-quality, and sustainable healthcare for all, and we'll talk to you again soon.